All right, well, we are going to work through the book of Jeremiah tonight. Jeremiah has the distinction of being, word-wise, the longest book of the Bible. More words in Jeremiah than any other book, not as many chapters. Uh, Psalms, the book of Psalms, holds that title uh, at 150. But Jeremiah uh, was a writer, had a whole, whole lot to say. And so we're going to dive into his book tonight. Uh, Overviews are on the back, uh, back table back there. The book of Jeremiah is named after the prophet Jeremiah, whose ministry is detailed in the book. Uh, When you go back and look at his lineage and his family line... He was of a priestly family. Uh, He's traced back to Abiathar, who was a priest during the reign of King Solomon. So that historical part comes back. And you might, that's an important note, because as you read through the book of Jeremiah, if you ever sit down and you're studying through, you will notice that he regularly condemns the religious leaders in the nation of Israel because they weren't teaching people, according to God's word, uh, the truths and the standards and what God said, and so he rebukes them quite openly, quite frequently, and pretty sternly, as a matter of fact. So, why might that be an issue for Jeremiah to rebuke the priests for failing in their duties? Face persecution persecution for speaking the truth, particularly from some of the kings, yep. And the religious leaders. And what did I say his family background history was? Among the priests. So it's family. And I don't know about you all, but doesn't your family take rebuke and, uh, you know, being corrected well from you as a sibling or or as a pair or something like that? That that goes well, doesn't it, right? So you can imagine as a prophet speaking a stern word of rebuke and correction to the priests who are your family members. Yeah, that usually doesn't go over well, all right? And so that is part of the burden, the the, the cross that we referenced that Jeremiah uh, had to bear, which is very appropriate then, this next comment, that Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. Because there are several times when he just very emotionally, just very candidly, just pours out his heart before God through tears and these laments or these confessions that they're called when he just basically puts it all out there. Sorrow, grief, you know, Lord, why me? This isn't fun. It's not pleasant. Understanding now his background, the message he had to deliver, people not liking that message, you can kind of see why he's called the weeping prophet uh, and would respond in that way. Uh, But the other part of this is some of his sorrow comes from the plight of the Israelite people. Some of it is, woe is me, this is awful and I don't like it, God. But another part of it is he sees the sin and he sees the disobedience and he sees people's um, lack of concern for God and the ways of God, and it breaks his heart. I mean, he grieves over the sin of the people of Israel, uh, and and it was a great sorrow and burden for him. You know, and and I always try to remember uh, and pray as often as as God kind of brings it to my mind, then ask God to give me a heart like Jeremiah that cares for the people. You know, that when we see sin in people's lives, that we don't get frustrated and mad and angry. We're going to sin and sinners are going to sin and we can get judgmental. We can get self-righteous in that. Well, you awful, terrible, you know, uh, sinner, you know, pagan people. 
But our response, a right response in some instances, many instances, is to grieve and to have sorrow over the sin of other people because we want to see them delivered from that. And so I would encourage you, maybe as you read through Jeremiah or just as God, and again, for me, uh, it just as God kind of brings it to my heart, pray that God would give you a soft heart, a heart of sorrow over sin, your own sin, but also sin for other people. Because when you have that heart of sorrow and you you desire better things for them, then my experience has been it helps me be more caring, loving, compassionate, outreach oriented than when I'm judgmental, when I'm condemning and kind of stiff arm a person because of sin in their life. And so praying for that is a very, very uh, healthy thing for us. Jeremiah uh, was a prophet for a long time, started at the age of 20 and prophesied for over 40 years. Uh, And as I mentioned, he delivered very stern, very pointed, very difficult messages to the Israelite people. Uh, That's why some commentators uh, have nicknamed him the prophet of doom. That sounds like a wrestling title, right? You know, he's he's a a, a WWE wrestler, the prophet of doom. But that's because a lot of his messages were trying to warn the people and tell them of the impending doom that was coming their way. And it wasn't because, hey, God doesn't like you anymore, and so he's just going to you know, punish you. It was calling them and reminding them of their sin, and that if they didn't repent and turn from that sin, this was what lay in store for them. Author of the book of Jeremiah uh, is... Is Jeremiah through his secretary uh, Baruch. Most of his ministry took place in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah and the southern kingdom. And ultimately, at the end of Jeremiah's uh, tenure as a prophet, uh, Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. So they become the world the world power who comes in and eventually uh, takes over. God uses them to punish the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah was commanded not to marry. God told him not to take a wife and to not have children because God told him the next generation is going to be raised in captivity, in slavery, in great suffering. And so he told Jeremiah to not marry, to not have a wife, so that his children wouldn't be subjected to that. And Jeremiah had a bit of a roller coaster of a ministry. Uh, There were a couple of kings that he found favor with. Those kings heard his message in the warnings, and they wanted to trust God. And so they did, you know, trust God, and therefore they, they gave Jeremiah a favorable response. They took care of him. They protected him from the people. Uh, Just a couple of kings did that. By and large, the response of the kings was, you're not very nice, you're not very kind, quit saying these bad things about us. Uh, And you even get into them having their own prophets who were false prophets, and they were denouncing Jeremiah, saying he's not right, and he's not saying the proper things. And Jeremiah says, no, you're the ones who are the lying, the false prophets, and the way it's going to be determined, how we're going to know, is what happens in the future. Jeremiah said, here's your future, so when this happens, you will know then that I was right. And it did come to pass in that way. Uh, But he had a very, very difficult time and and a very hard ministry. The date of the writing, his ministry tenure was from around 626 to 582 B.C. Again, some rough dates in there uh, with Jerusalem falling in 586. Maybe his writing was a few years after that. Uh, He followed the the ministry of Zephaniah. So if you're ever reading through, kind of doing some chronological stuff, and remember we, we talk on our timeline here, Jeremiah, Zephaniah was followed by Jeremiah, and then Habakkuk and Obadiah were prophets in the same time. So the messages of those two books were to the same people, the same era as the time that Jeremiah was prophesying. And then Ezekiel 
came on at the end of Jeremiah's ministry and then had his own prophetic ministry. So you get some overlap there with these guys. We don't know how Jeremiah died, but tradition holds, Jewish tradition, that he uh, was stoned in Egypt uh, as a captive there. We do know that he was carried off at the end of his prophetic ministry to Egypt. Uh, And so it's thought that he was stoned there by the Egyptians. And when you reference Hebrews 11.37, it speaks of martyrs, uh, some of the faithful prophets of old who were stoned to death. Uh, Many say that that's a reference to Jeremiah's death. All right, I've already mentioned quite a bit, but the purpose of Jeremiah, his book, was to call the nation of Judah. And if you'll remember, I forgot my markers tonight. Uh, Israel was divided uh, into two kingdoms after Solomon's reign. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern. Israel fell earlier to the Assyrian Empire, but God, because of some faithful kings in Judah, in the southern kingdom, protected them longer. Uh, But Jeremiah was in Judah prophesying to them, trying to continue uh, and to draw them back to faith in God. He wanted them to repent of their sins, telling them that there was impending doom, that destruction, death, slavery, captivity was marching toward them, but if they would repent and turn back to God, they would be delivered. However, God revealed to him, he very clearly saw and understood that that wasn't going to happen. The people weren't going to repent. And so Jeremiah begins to speak of what would happen after their captivity. I mean, you think about that. He's here saying, stop, don't do this. This is what's going to happen. God reveals to him, it's going to happen, Jeremiah, because they're hard-hearted, they're stiff-necked, they're rebellious people. They're going to be carried off into captivity. So then Jeremiah, as God lays on his heart, begins to tell them, okay, Captivity's coming. Let's talk about when that's over. When that's over, here's what's going to happen. And he talks about coming back and being restored, but he also looks forward. And we're going to look at this in just a moment. Way forward to God's ultimate and final deliverance. To God's perfect renewal of his covenant with his people, referencing Christ and how God was going to relate to them and overcome their judgment and their sins in the future uh, through his Messiah. And so there's this, this picture of restoration that Jeremiah finally begins to deliver in his book for the people to say, okay, it's not going to happen. You're not going to repent, but God's not going to give up on you. He's not going to stop his promises. He's going to be faithful. And here's what we see. Okay, let's look at a couple of of uh, key verses from the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 1 is a good place to start. I didn't mean that, I just meant that's a good place to start because there's some good stuff in here. Uh, talks about the call of Jeremiah, verse 4, says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So this is Jeremiah's call. Reminds us of God's sovereignty, that God sees us, he knows us. Thank you. I may not need it now, but at least I'll have one in my pocket. Thank you. Um, God sees us. He knows us. uh, He knows his plans, uh, his will, his purposes in our life. And he appoints and he directs. You know, in the Bible, we've talked about this from point one in the Garden of Eden all the way through the life of all of God's leaders, through his prophets. Uh, We've seen God's sovereign hand and, and Proverbs telling us that God controls the hearts of the king. You know, that God brings rulers. God brings ungodly rulers and sinful people and 
and uses them for his glory and honor. And we've seen this. And so God comes to Jeremiah and says, I've known you from before you were in the womb. I knew you, knew everything about you, and I appointed you to be a prophet to go and speak these words. Verse 6, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. You remember how old he was when he started his ministry? Said it earlier. 20, sweet, y'all are listening. I was waiting to you to go, oh no, because I talk fast sometimes. Yes, he was 20, so he kind of gives this uh, thing like Moses did. You remember Moses when God's call? Moses said, Lord, here am I, send Aaron. You remember him saying that? I, I can't talk, I can't do this, find somebody else. He kind of gives the same, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. What was Isaiah's response when God called Isaiah? Or when he, was, when he found himself in the Lord's presence? Woe to me, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips. And so, you know, there's this, when you come into the presence of God and God sets before you and you recognize his call, his desire, uh, his plans and purposes for you, you're overwhelmed. It, It will always be the encounter that God is so great, so majestic, so beyond what we are able to do and accomplish in our own. You will always feel overwhelmed at God's purposes and God's call upon your life. The call of salvation. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy. We, we, we recognize that unworthiness. But the good thing about this is the fact that when we see it and when we recognize that we can't do it and we're not worthy and we're not capable, we're in a good spot. Because then God says, you're right. You can't. But I can. Submit yourself. Surrender yourself to me and I will do this. It's not about us, what we can do or accomplish. It's about God working in us and through us. And so, you know, Jeremiah acknowledges, hey, I can't do this. But then the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so we see the entire gamut to, to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, but then the back end to do what? To build and to plant. So from the very beginning, we see God's picture of hope. We see God's picture of restoration, even through what's going to be a difficult prophetic ministry. Verse 19 of chapter 1. God speaking to Jeremiah, doesn't pull any punches, tells him what to expect. Verse 19, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So God's promise is there of being with him, delivering him, but telling him, Jeremiah, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And you will face challenges. Guess what? The same is true for you and I as well. Life is not without challenges. The spiritual life is not without challenges. God speaks this to Jeremiah in advance. We're studying through the gospel, the book of John. Jesus in his upper room discourse, his final words to his disciples. Guess what message he delivers to them? I'll I'll be with you. But why is he telling me he's going to be with him? Why is that promise so important? 
because people were going to persecute him. He says, the world will hate you because the world hated me. The world will persecute you because the world persecuted me. Jesus told his disciples, just like God told Jeremiah, it's not going to be easy. You're going to face troubles. John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. He didn't say you might. He didn't say there's a 80% likelihood or possibility. He said you will have troubles. But then he promises, as Melissa said, I will be with you. The Holy Spirit comes. We have that resource. I'm with you to the end of the age. We have the promise of God himself to help us face, get through, sometimes muddle through, but ultimately have victory over and bear fruit for God's kingdom and glorify God's name even through the trials and the difficulties we face. All right, Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. And if you ever doubted this issue, you have children. And you will find Jeremiah 17 verse 9 to be so very true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, we talk about being born with a sin nature, being born into depravity. If you've ever doubted that, you have children. And then you watch your kids and go, well, you little sinner. We, we are born into it. And I mean, it happens just naturally. You've had that thought. Don't look at me and judge me. All right. You, 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 you've been there. I'm like, my kids, are, I'm like, where did you learn that? We did not teach you that response. It is the heart of a human being that has sin in it. And that sin starts from a very early age. I mean, I remember Caleb as a toddler, you know, diapers and, you know, not even able to say words. So, no, don't go touch that. And he looked at me and put his finger out and would take, and I warned like three times this whole, I'm like, what are you doing? I was kind of just giving the warnings to see how far he was going to, and he did. He walked over and put his finger right on it. Just like that. It wasn't a push. And he just touched it to see if what I was going to do. He didn't like what I did. All right. So. <laughs> But man, Jeremiah says, do what? I loved on him some, that's right. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, do you look at the world sometimes and just scratch your head and go, how? How do we get to this to this place? Uh, last week, was it last week? Yeah, it was last week. We had the funeral for the young man who was killed here in Colonial Heights, you know, who was beaten and, and was hospitalized but wound up you know, uh, dying in that time, having that funeral and just seeing the sorrow and the grief of that family from the senseless violence. And we're like, yeah, that's such a big deal because, it, because it's here and it's close to us. But you know what? That happens every day. In, in cities and suburbs and small communities around our nation. And, and, and we just look and we puzzle. We scratch our head and go, how did we get to this point? Jeremiah tells us it is the heart that's steeped in sin. And that's what he's trying to remind the people. Don't forget the context of this. Jeremiah is saying to God's people, you can't always trust your heart. When you've got a false prophet who's here saying, no, God's going to bring good things. God's fine with what you're doing. And Jeremiah's like, no, you're not. And he points out examples. Your worship's not right. Your, your treatment of your brothers and your sisters, your fellow countrymen is not right. And he gives them example after example of all these things and says, this isn't good. He draws back to and says, it's not good. And it all stems from our heart. 
And look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You know, I talked Sunday about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life and the fact that when we come to God's Word and we study it, the Holy Spirit searches us and He reveals our motives. He helps us know if we're thinking properly, if we're behaving in a right way, if our plans or our thoughts or our desires are from within us or if they're of God. And here again, God affirming that, that I search the heart, I test the mind. Point being, if we draw close to God and we walk with Him and we study His Word and we pray and we seek godly counsel, God will speak to us. He will reveal to us what we need to know. And this is Jeremiah's call to his people. Draw to God. If you don't trust me in what I'm saying, you go seek and search after God and God will show you. But the people wouldn't. Their hearts were hard. And I don't know about you guys, but when there's sin in my life that I know that is there, that I need to deal with, but I don't want to, I don't want to search out Scripture. It becomes a barrier to me in my prayer life. You know why? I don't want to have to deal with it. Because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be like Isaiah coming into the Lord's presence. Woe is me. I'm a person of unclean lips. And I don't want to deal with that. The old phrase goes, either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And and that's been my experience. And and, and Jeremiah is telling the people that, but they didn't want to come back to God. All right, uh, chapter 23. We are never going to get through this. Jeremiah 23, verse... Five, looking forward, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Now, as we have gone through the Old Testament, and one of these days, as we get closer to the end, I'm going to draw back up and we'll see it. But remember some of the promises that God made. And I said, remember to watch these promises because they're going to be important later. Because if these things don't come true, then God wasn't true in the beginning. So, Do anybody remember some of these we've talked about? Back in the beginning, there's a guy God made a promise to. That he would have descendants as numerous as, yeah, Abraham. So start with the promise to Abraham. Descendants as numerous as the stars. Descendants as numerous as stars in the sky. Sounds he sure? Yep. It was just on history. Got it. Got it. Yeah. All right. Uh, There was the Abraham promise. Others? Isaac. Isaac. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. And then we had the division from that, from Israel and then Judah. And there was the promise uh, from Israel, from Jacob to Judah, about uh, his descendant, the king who would rule. Remember, do my little crown there. Isn't that good? Was that in the Bible too? Yeah. On, on, the, on the movie? <laughs> so, so the promise through Judah. That, that, uh, that that's where the ruler would come. Uh, through this comes a guy later by the name of David. And what was this promise? We just kind of reference it here. 
he would all, the king would come through this line and then the direct promise to him was it would be of his lineage. Uh, and so we follow this through and then Jeremiah says of the house of David. And then he backs through that God's blessing through Judah and then to Israel would be secure. So Jeremiah following this promise through. And remember we've said before you double check this stuff with Jesus and the fulfillment of all these prophecies in the New Testament. So we're working toward that. But here Jeremiah you see again affirming uh, this promise, reminding them of this promise uh, for what lays ahead. Let's uh, skip the 24 verse. It's basically the same thing as 31, but I want you to see verse or chapter 31, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. <clears throat> it says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So this is after the uh, the deportation, the coming back, the restoration. This is the covenant. Um, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow, does that sound like anything that we've been talking about in recent weeks on Sunday mornings? That Jesus promised we would have another helper and Jesus said, you know him because he has been with you, but he will be in you. He said in John chapter 14, Jeremiah here saying that God's law, a covenant, our relationship with him wouldn't be written on stone tablets. It'll be written on a heart of flesh. It'll be internal through the Holy Spirit. And so he's looking ahead uh, to this new way of relating with God. All of this brings us to, or we're going to go back to Jeremiah 29. A lot of people, and you may have a bookmark with this or a plaque in your home, and it's a good verse, but it's, I love this verse when you get the context and the understanding of what's taking place and what Jeremiah is saying. We talk about Jeremiah 29.11. We'll read it in just a moment. People go, oh, it's a life verse, and they love that verse. It's a good verse. But it gets so much richer when we understand the context of what Jeremiah is actually saying. Verse 10, he says to the people, this is the heading of this chapter, is his letter to the exiles. So he's telling the people who are in exile and those who are being carried off into exile. And what's exile? Let's talk about that for a second. Y'all know what exile is? Describe your history understanding of exile. To be cast out, to be what? Kicked out. Kicked out? Banished. Banished? Oh, no, it's much worse than that. Alone? Alone? No, it's worse than that. Alienated? No, you are thinking of the definition of the word exile. You're trying to define the word. What's the, what happened historically in ancient history times when you were exiled because an overpowering nation came in and took control of you? You become slaves, and add to that. You have no home, suffering, beatings, abuse, persecuted, death. Yes. Uh, markings, I mean, they, they, you know, piercing ears, and, and this isn't, you know, to look cool because you got an ear piercing, it's, you know, putting a big awl through your ear so that people recognize you as a slave. Uh, some of the ancient individuals, as they were marching people from the land they were in back home, they would take hooks 
big metal steel hooks and hook through their shoulder and make them walk in a rope in a line. Now think about stumbling and falling. That's not a, for you or the guys behind you. But I mean, this is and these are the 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 physical conditions that people lived in. And so these are the letters Jeremiah is writing this message to people who already are or who are about to experience those conditions. Get that picture in your mind. And he says, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Man, would that not be good news? Now, it's not if you're in year one. (laughs) But if you're reading this as an exile in year 68, you're like, almost here. Almost here. Then, verse 11. So that's the context. 70 years, then verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You know, we read that verse, oh, it's a great verse because it applies to us. You know, this same application of God, you know, has a future and hope and plans for us. And it means a great deal. But man, think about being in that kind of, of exile state and hearing these words and thinking about these day and weeks and months and years into your exile. Man, just such a, a powerful promise. And then in verse 12, this other invitation of God's presence. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you. Notice God says, I put you there. You didn't just wind up there by some happenstance, some random circumstance. I drove you. I put you in those places. Uh, And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Man, great, great uh, verses, good truths for us to remember. Okay, themes and theology you see through the book of Jeremiah. First of all, and I think this is such a, a important lesson to remember, and it may sound self-serving, but it, it is what it is, all right, just because I am one of those. But remember that God's messengers and God's leaders are human beings, If ever we see that, we see it in Jeremiah's ministry because he had his good hair days and his bad hair days. All right, and when it was bad, it was pretty bad. I mean, Jeremiah, and we talked about this with King David. King David didn't mince words in pouring out his heart before God and just telling him how he felt about stuff. And I've expressed before, remember that it's okay. God can handle our emotion and our questioning and our doubts and all of these things to bring them to him. Remember the Jeremiah 29:11 promise. When you seek me, you'll find me. You know, I will be there. I'll be present and God's able to work in that time. But remember that God 
God's messengers and leaders are human beings. And again, I say this because I want you to remember that about me. I want you to know that, that there is nothing special, unique, uh, different about Curtis Barnes and anybody in this room. I may work vocationally in a church and have a different role and responsibility in the life of this church, but I am a man, a person trying to be faithful to God's call in my life in the place that he's put me, just as you are trying to be in the places that he has put you. And, uh, you know, unfortunately in churches, people sometimes, there's such a, a separation in their minds between a pastor and the people that, that sometimes it's not healthy. And whether it's putting on a pedestal, uh, you know, feel like they're, they're not approachable. But I, I underscore this message because we see it in Jeremiah. Uh, we see his, his frustration at sin. He denounced sin. He didn't like it. He was mad at the evildoers and he called them out for their wickedness, whether they were priests in his own family uh, or people he didn't even know. He, he spoke the words he needed to boldly. But then his heart broke for the people. I mean, he hurt for them and he wept for them. Uh, his confessions, and I listed several of those there as you go through, just reveal uh, some startling statements, some startling feelings about God. You know, just remember, he's a human being. And as you read these things, you go, oh, I can't believe, you know, one of God's own prophets, you know, called and set apart would say these sort of things. Guess what? He's only human. You know, that, that's, those are the emotions that he was experiencing, and he poured those out to God. Uh, I love God's response to one of his laments. As you read through chapter 15, kind of the outline of this, uh, he, he's cried out to God, he's complained, and God basically tells him, uh, you need to repent of your rebellious attitude and your spiteful spirit. Jeremiah, so Jeremiah, you're wrong, and God corrects him for it. Uh, then God reminds him and tells him that it would never be easy. And then he counsels him and says, Jeremiah, you speak my words, don't side with the people. Because Jeremiah had kind of, Lord, it's too much, you're being, you know, over assertive. And, and God rebukes him and says, Jeremiah, you deliver my message, don't be, you know, siding with, with them who are here. And then he promises to deliver Jeremiah out of his troubles. He reassures him of his presence uh, and that he wouldn't leave him unprotected. So Jeremiah 15, God kind of gives that rebuke. So he starts with, Jeremiah, you're wrong. Remember what I told you. But then he ends with, I'm going to be with you. We're going to get through this together. Great, great thing there. Uh, Jeremiah prays against his personal enemies, uh, similar to what David did in the book of Psalms. And God actually told Jeremiah a couple of times in his book, don't pray for the people. A, they're not going to change their ways. B, I've already determined what I'm going to do. I'm not going to relent. This is coming. Yet Jeremiah, his love is so great for them that he continues to intercede on their behalf. What other biblical leader interceded on people's behalf even when they weren't worthy and didn't want to be interceded for? Remember anybody else? Moses? Abraham? You saw that in the Bible, didn't you? The, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it. I've been watching it too. I, I'm watching it because people are going to call on their email going, what do you think about that today? So I've been watching it. But yeah, Abraham, uh, Moses is another one. Man, I love Moses. And he's another person that I try often to pray, Lord, give me a heart of Moses because there 